What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. You're tuning into Done by Law, 3CR on 855 AM. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land in which we're broadcasting from. We pay our respect to elders and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. 6pm on the 15th of November 2022 and we're your hosts, Indy and Jeremy. So Jeremy, tonight we're going to be talking about the family law system, the family violence system um, and the impacts of engaging with that system um, to clients and their children, some of the great um, initiatives that are being undertaken, but also some of the areas for improvement. And we have two fantastic guests tonight. We have Helen Matthews. So Helen is the Director of Legal and Policy at the Women's Legal Service Victoria, which for the people that don't already know is a non-for-profit organisation that works with and for women experiencing particular disadvantage, addressing legal issues arising from relationship breakdowns and the like. Helen's a very experienced practitioner and has um, a fantastic in-depth knowledge of the family law system. So I'm sure we will hear a lot about that tonight. And we're also going to be speaking to Michal Kedem. Um, and she is a senior lawyer at Inner Melbourne Community Legal. Michal works with people experiencing family violence, drug and alcohol dependency, homelessness, mental health, um, as they are engaging with and navigating the complex family law and family violence system. So thank you both for talking with us today and I'm really excited to hear about your respective works and some of your views on the family law system and how it impacts um, clients, particularly clients that access community legal centres. And I'm personally very interested in this topic, I will admit, as a fellow family lawyer. And I think that it's a really important topic to talk about because particularly for our 3CR listeners, a lot of people are really well versed in some of the, I guess, areas of improvement in the criminal justice system and the experiences of people who are exposed to that system. But we don't hear enough about the impacts of the family violence and the family law system on clients and their children. So I think it's really good to amplify some of these issues um, so that we can continue that dialogue and how we can improve the experience for clients and their kids when when dealing with parenting matters. So Helen, look, I'd like to start with you first. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions of family law clients and maybe the family law system. And I think some of these stereotypes are it's just a system full of people that just can't get along or or maybe that it's a system designed for people with more money than sense. Can you talk about some of the clients that access your service when they want help with parenting matters? And I think it would also be helpful if you could explain for our listeners the difference between the parenting system, the children's court system, and the family violence system. 
Uh, yeah, look, thanks very much, um, India. We'll um, explain a little bit about what we do at Women's Legal Service just to give the, the context of the sorts of clients that come through to us. But I think you're um, right in suggesting it's a misconception that the family law system is filled with people who um, haven't made effort to resolve their own issues or have got more money than sense. So we um, are seeing people who are experiencing entrenched disadvantage. We're not seeing people with plenty of money, but a lot of people are in families and a lot of families end up breaking down for one reason or another. And we'll talk later about the role that, you know, violence might might play in that. But our clients have been referred to us usually through family violence services or community health services or other community legal services, a range of different um, ways they might be referred into our service. And that's because they've been identified as having some complex needs, which will need the assistance of a lawyer. And that could be um, in working out arrangements for their children, in being able to have their children return to them from a violent partner, having their children return to them from from um, overseas or actually arranging a, a safe way for the child to spend time with, with both parents or other important people in their life. So these issues regarding children are always going to need a, a really a serious approach to make sure that we're acting in the best interest of children, which is what the family law legal framework says we have to do. They may also be coming to us because they're women who uh, are experiencing a lot of debt that is um, impacting on their ability to find housing, for example, and we've really got to deal with the debt that might exist between themselves um, and their former partners and, the, and their creditors. Or it could be that they should be able to access some um, superannuation that was accrued by their partner, that they have no superannuation while they've been home looking after the kids. It's a family law system that allows us to be able to resolve these issues, but it's not an easy system to navigate on your own. Uh, we also will see women who have come to us via the child protection system. So it might be that in the state system um, that looks after children at risk, um, that they were first brought to the attention of the, the state system. So that's a children court looking um, at child protection issues. That's quite separate from what the family court does. So the children's court is um, a state-initiated um, process. Um, the family law system is private law. It's the individuals themselves that initiate the process. Um, and then we often will have clients that additionally to that have been involved in magistrates' courts hearings for their intervention orders. So there might be family violence intervention orders that have been obtained around the time of separation, for example. And, um, and that's the, the first time we might come in contact with them when we're seeing them as duty lawyers at the magistrates' court and say, actually, these people have got a level of complexity in their relationships, which means they'll need the assistance of the family law processes to be able to resolve them. The, I should also say that a lot of people in the family law system are not actually um, accessing the courts. They might be accessing family dispute resolution services um, and, and in various different ways to get some assistance in reaching agreement over how they move forward. Our clients are people with complex issues, either um, because of the difficulties of their circumstances, because of the difficulties of the legal issues that might uh, intersect with their family law matters, like migration issues, for example, or because they are um, marginalised and really not going to be able to navigate their way through this complex system on their own or get the benefit of the laws that are there to protect their interests, their children's interests and their rights. Yeah, Helen, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the complex 
not only the complex system that they're navigating, but also the complex issues that impact clients when they enter into the family law system. Mahal, I would like to go to you now. As I said before in the introduction, I think a lot of people really understand some of the experiences of clients when they access the criminal justice system. We see fantastic campaigns around transformative justice um, and so on, which is about sort of ensuring that we understand the failings in the criminal justice system. But there's not a lot of knowledge around maybe the common experiences of clients and their children when engaging in the family law system. Can you talk a little bit about some of clients' experiences around things like delay and uh, language barriers and all these sorts of things that may impact their general experience and what a family law matter sort of looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Cindy. Um, So like Helen was saying, clients come to us with a range of very complex issues. um, And so sort of in in a time of crisis, it's often the most stressful thing they're going to deal with. Um, And so they're often highly distressed, really overwhelmed by um, all the steps they need to take in the system. Sometimes there won't be sort of stable housing, they'll be still experiencing family violence. Yeah, a number of the issues that I guess Helen already mentioned um, and that just adds to their, I guess, distress, yeah, and the, the difficulty they have in facing the system. So if they are able to get access to a low, but if they, they can, um, they need to sort of rehash their whole kind of experience up to that point and why they're there. And um, with that court system, there's a number of forms they need to fill out. They really need to go into depth about what's happened. That in itself can be a very distressing process, especially if there are language difficulties or um, access to technology, other uh, mental health or um, physical disabilities, drug and alcohol issues. So it's um, it's quite a lengthy process and a very um, very involved process. Um, and then it's also, yeah, like you were saying, there are very long delays. So um, Our family law matters will sometimes span across years, um, which also adds to this sort of heightened sense of distress clients, especially because, I guess, and we'll discuss that later, family violence isn't necessarily heard. You might include it in your documents, but actually in the hearings, there isn't, unless the matter goes to trial, it isn't really necessarily acknowledged or considered in a a really meaningful way. Just supporting... Um, what Michael's saying is that um, we've been advocating for some time that it would be beneficial in matters which are being litigated that the um, the issue of family violence actually be determined at the beginning of the matter so that there actually be an examination of that evidence and finding of fact made, which is basically just really people giving evidence and being cross-examined. It's not usually you know, looking for extraneous evidence about it um, and that if the court were to make a finding of fact as to whether or not there has been family violence, it's impacting the family, that will really lead to some better decision-making down the path rather than exactly what was being described, that um, you're likely to resolve your matter by agreement and that issue of the family violence that you alleged in your documents at the beginning is never really um, heard and people don't necessarily feel what it will have been read by the judges, but it's not. There's not going to be findings of facts about that. There's not going to be some acknowledgement that that's actually the the issue. And and rather sometimes you'll have um, members of the judiciary congratulating people on reaching 
agreement on on things as if that was a good thing um, when really it's a bit of a war of attrition they felt they've just worn out they've got to agree and they have still got concerns that maybe the family violence issue hasn't been fully um, fully addressed but we are seeing some shifts in the in the court practice and that will we'll, um, you know with the um, the lighthouse project actually expanding around around the country, uh, which is um, just a, a recent announcement from the court. And for clarification for our listeners, I guess one of the reasons why family violence might might not be there may not be actually a hearing to have a finding of fact on family violence if a matter is settled is because that's an agreement between two parties where the judge or the justice probably hasn't had an opportunity opportunity to adequately test some of that evidence. And Helen, I think it's a really important initiative to be able to think about how can we have this establishment at the start that this, yes, this is the family violence, this is the degree and the impacts that it's had on the clients engaging in the system. And then that way, at least that finding can be carried with the parties throughout the matter in comparison to if you wait till the very end, there might not really be a very end for many clients in terms of if they resolve before that, there's never really been an opportunity to properly test that evidence and therefore therefore put safety sort of mechanisms in place. Yeah, I think that I, I totally agree there. And interestingly, too, with every year we will have some matters where um, a, a perpetrator of violence has been um, in conflict with our clients. So we're in a litigation, a family law litigation, and no agreement is being reached and it's going on and on and on. And then just when we are actually getting to final hearing, because these are not people who are capable of reaching agreement, the um, that perpetrator of violence sort of drops out, doesn't participate, doesn't follow the um, court directions for what has to be done to prepare for final hearing. And it's often because they're finally backed into the corner and realise they can't maintain their control of the situation. They're about to have to give up to another authority and they will be judged as having been a violent person. So it's they've, we've had two years of litigation going on where because they've maintained this, no, I'm not violent, she's um, off her head or these are false allegations, she's just doing this to stop me seeing the children or whatever, those sort of false allegations being made by him. Um, and then it's at that final hearing stage that he ceases to try to push that line because he's not going to get away with it anymore. And But I just sort of think it would have been so much better if that issue had been looked at earlier and he'd been called to account earlier. And then for all members of the family, particularly the children, um, we would have been able to make, um, like you said, decisions that um, went to safety and, um, and we would have stopped this endless systems abuse and posturing going ahead. No crime, no time. Fix Victoria's bail loss now. Prisons are bursting at the seams with poor people. Istra Melbourne is calling on the Victorian government to release unsentenced people on remand from Victorian prisons. First Nations people are 3% of the population, yet represent 29% of the general prison population. 89% of First Nations women entering prison are unsentenced. Istra Melbourne is asking you to sign the No Crime, No Time petition, which can be found on Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
You're tuning in to Done By Law on 855am. Tonight we're talking about the family law system and the family violence system and how it impacts clients and some of the great initiatives but also areas of improvement that is happening in this space. We're very lucky to speak to Helen Matthews, who's the Director of Legal and Policy at the Women's Legal Service Victoria, and Nihal Kadem, who is a Senior Lawyer at uh, Inner Melbourne Community Legal. I guess just moving on, there's a lot of other aspects to the family law system. Helen, if you could, and and I might get um, Michal to uh, add to that at the end, could you explain to our listeners a few of those principles um, that are common within this jurisdiction? Sure. Look, some of the principles set out in the Family Law Act, I think, are, are, are very good. Some of the refinements that have happened over the years have um, sometimes been done to appease particular interest groups. So there's the legislation is is long and tricky, but there's some basic principles there. And one is that when we're making decisions about children, we actually have to um, consider the best interests of the children. And then they try to define what that best interest means. And that was that the children have a right to um, be safe from harm or neglect or abuse. Um, and that the children um, should uh, that they shouldn't have a right to know and have a meaningful relationship with both their parents, and and that, that those principles remain, and I think they're really important. And always, it is the safety or from harm that is the the, the trumping interest there. That's the one that the that the courts obliged to to. Um, to prioritise. And that's, of course, what, you know, most parents would be wanting to do. We, we also have in the legislation a um, presumption of equal shared parental responsibility. Um, and this is um, a, a misinterpreted presumption. Um, I don't like presumptions in law. I think they lead to all kinds of problems. Um, and this is something that for a long time there's been agitation to remove. It wasn't part of the original act. It was brought in, brought in in response to some agitation from people who thought that maybe men were getting a bad deal. So it was um, saying that that the children have both their parents having responsibility for them for major decision-making. So we just, the starting point is that both parents would be um, it would contribute to decision making about things like where the children lived, what their education might be, what their schooling was, significant health decisions, what their name was, those sorts of things. Um, it isn't a presumption of equal time or that the children are divided between the parents in any equal um, number or equal number of hours in a week. It was never intended to be that way, um, but it was a starting point that both parents were responsible for significant decision-making. As I say, often misinterpreted and one of the problems that we have when people don't have access to legal advice, they may make their decisions once they separate uh, about their child's arrangements um, just based based on the urban myth that there's a presumption that it's equal time or that parents have rights. And there's nothing in the in the legislation which says that the parents have rights to the children, that the rights are actually sitting with the children, their right to know the parents. So all of these, you know, things are sort of simple principles, but somehow rather get really distorted when people start to view them through their own lens and what they think it means for them. And when you've got power imbalance and when you've got um, uh, good advice, maybe in competition with advice from what um, well-intentioned bystanders might be wanting to serve out. Mihal, 
I just want to, I want to ask you two questions, if that's okay. I guess the first one is, and Helen briefly touched on it, the legislative changes in 2006 were made by the Howard government around equal share parental responsibility. And there were some vested interests in that. So I'd love you to briefly touch on that. And then from there, you know, parents come into this system and the concept of a perfect parent, just like a perfect victim survivor, you know, it, it it's not a realistic concept. Some parents do experience a history of alcohol, drug dependency, mental health and other issues. And I'd just like to hear your thoughts on how these matters are dealt with in the family law system. It has been quite a political issue and I guess it still is in a lot of ways. Everyone's kind of got an idea or view on what should happen and what, you know, parenting and a family looks like or how it should be. Um, so I guess, yeah, in 2006, there um Due to lobbying from men's rights activist groups, um, there was that equal shared parental responsibility and the um, meaningful relationship with both parents that was really, you know, at the forefront. And then later, it was only it was only in 2011, 2012, where that was changed, where um, the safety of the child um, or um, weighing up risks to the child um, in terms of that equal shared parental responsibility and um, meaningful relationship with the parent was put first and um, also added to the considerations. So I think, and especially with our um, earlier discussion on family violence not being acknowledged early enough, and hopefully one day it will be, um, the safety of the child in practice, even though it's legislatively there, um, isn't kind of considered enough. Um, and so that that principle, those presumptions that, yeah, the issue with those presumptions is that they sort of take the forefront and they they sort of, yeah, carry more weight than they should and decisions are made where, yeah, child might be, at, children might be at risk. You're tuning in to Done by Law on 855am. Tonight we're talking about the family law system and the family violence system and how it impacts clients and some of the great initiatives but also areas of improvement that is happening in this space. We're very lucky to speak to Helen Matthews, who's the Director of Legal and Policy at the Women's Legal Service Victoria, and Michal Kadem, who is a senior lawyer at uh, Inner Melbourne Community Legal. Yeah, so often, like we were saying earlier on, there are, we have clients um, or users of the family law system that have alcohol and drug issues, um, mental health issues, physical disability issues, you know, housing issues, and um, I guess the family law system, I think, still is um, has a bit of a way to catch up um, on in terms of those issues. We still have this idea of a perfect parent, and if if someone doesn't meet that idea, um, the family law system deals with it quite harshly, um, and also sort of go through. You know, you need to provide regular drug tests or um, do different programs, and it's sort of on it's on the um, person struggling with those issues to prove that they aren't impacting their parenting. Court takes a quite black and white view on these things and and especially, yeah, especially think mental health and also drugs and alcohol. Helen, I'd, I'd like to return back to some of the discussion we were having before around the um, intersection between or the involvement of family violence in um family law matters and you raised the lighthouse project 
Can you talk a little bit more about that project and also from the perspective of the work in that space, what they're doing to ensure safety of victim survivors throughout the life of a family law matter? Um, yes, the Lighthouse Project um, was started as a pilot that was happening in a few of the family court registries, not in Victoria, unfortunately. It was Brisbane, Adelaide, Parramatta, I think. And it is so at the commencement of uh, a matter in the court, there is a, a risk screening process undertaken and it actually screens for family violence, for mental health issues and for drug and alcohol problems. So it's a sort of broad um, risk screening um, process and this isn't evidence that's going into the hearing of the matter but this is really to help the court manage it. The, the family law courts were aware that um, an awful amount of the work that they were doing was um, responding to um, problems arising out of family violence but what they have learned from that pilot is that the level of risk that was being carried by victim survivors was actually really much higher than they thought so people were showing on the risk indicators you know multiple um, significant risk indicators which meant that there was more serious risk than they thought might have might have existed the pilot en enabled them to actually prioritize some matters to go into a special list the ever list for um so that it would be dealt with more quickly so that as you were saying before Macar was saying before people being involved in legal proceedings over a period of a couple of years that's adding to risk the whole time it's adding to the likelihood of people making um decisions that um, may not be um the safest decisions that they've you know, resolve their matters on, but they were um, bringing it to an end. This is actually trying to fast track those matters that are um, rather more more um, risky than than others. I, I imagine that there's still going to be a, a problem with resourcing, um, but this is being rolled out now around the country. It is a case management risk management process, um, which um, I think is something that we have to really embrace. And um, it's it's had its partial evaluation, which was positive and hopefully we see some some long-term changes. I'm hoping they fully embrace the notion of making that fact-finding on family violence early on. That's not um, necessarily um, the approach that's been taken, but there is fast-tracking of high-risk matters. And we are seeing some changes, um, you know, progressive change in identifying family violence and understanding their enduring impact on clients and their children. I think we're really lucky here in Victoria because we have the Royal Commission into Family Violence and the state-based courts are really getting... Um, you know, we're, we're really acutely aware of the impacts and what it means on systems. But the family law system is a federalised system and it's still, we're still working through these things. So there are initiatives being put in place. And from practitioner to practitioner, we sort of understand where we can sort of see um, stories and understand where there are risks and be able to work to ensure that we mitigate some of those risks for our clients. Before we finish up today, um, I just wanted to briefly talk about um, any campaigns that either in Australia or internationally about positive change in this system. I'm happy to um, 
talk about some of some of the successes that have happened and that because I need to remind myself of that while we continue to try to um, campaign for further improvements and even that lighthouse project that did come out of advocacy over some years from um, um, the combined um, network of women's legal services um, across Australia. You know, we're, we're really pleased to see that there was, that the court was happy to embrace that and then run with it. Um, we are also often looking at making sure that, that the family law system, that private law system, is actually accessible to um, all people. My view always has been if you've got, you know, four houses, it's pretty easy to divide them up between the, the separating couples. It's those people with much less that it's much more difficult to do. There is a, um, a small property pilot that's been operating in Victoria and a couple of other pilot sites, uh, which is a simplified process for people to commence their legal proceedings. And we did get um, a legislative change so that when people are not cooperating in property matters and so um, person's not able to find out what someone's superannuation is. Basically, the Australian Tax Office is providing that information through an application to the to the family law courts. So, all of these things are combined, and um, and we have to make sure that the family law system is operating to assist everybody. It's not just the people with money. I know uh, we discuss sort of campaign ideas and um, at our work. So. Um, I'm really aware of the issues that we've been talking about. And also there is this campaign in the US custody piece um, where it kind of uh, outlines that they experience a lot of the sim- a lot of similar issues that we experience here and um, things like sending children back to their abusers, things like that. We've just got um, a bit of a way to go, but it's great that there are these initiatives. Uh, as a fellow family lawyer myself, I am so heartened that I can work with fantastic colleagues that are doing this great work. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a really fantastic discussion. Of course, I'm biased because I think this issue is incredibly interesting and important, um, but hopefully for our listeners as well. Helen, thank you. Michal, thank you. And hopefully we'll speak to you sometime soon. It's a lot. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Bye. And you've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM. You can listen to this show on your radio, online and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.